I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is it's Fish, Fish Jelly. Jelly. <laughs> that was sad. Okay, anyway. Uh, so if you're listening to this, you probably watch our YouTube channel, Fish mm. Jelly Film Reviews, where we do spoil-filled reviews of films new and old. Mm. Uh, so this is our first podcast. Uh-huh. What is it about? Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> well, uh, it's cinema-centric. Of course. We do single film reviews on our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. which we do dedicate quite a bit of time to. Like, average review is like 18 minutes, I think. Okay. Yeah. But oftentimes we don't, well, specifically you, mm -hmm. don't get to expound on a lot of ideas. Well, there's a lot to say. Connections, you know. Which is kind of what we're known for, is me cutting you off. Sure. But we thought the podcast would be a good way for you to... Wax eloquent. Yes. Or bring up topics we may have forgotten. Yeah, I mean... During I... some of the reviews. But specifically, like, bring up... You watch a lot of things that we don't get to talk about. Right. In, on the YouTube channel. So this would be a way to share that. Technically, you do too. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. not affiliated with... Um new releases but correct yeah. yeah and then over the past year people who watch the youtube channel have commented they'd like to hear us talk about things that are not film related mm -hmm. so i think we will sort of delve into that realm mm -hmm. i don't want to get caught up talking about hot button issues that i'm not completely fluent in so we'll probably avoid things like politics and foreign policy stuff Mm -hmm. We have a lot of thoughts on race, gender, sexuality. And I think those things come up in relation to um, how we're talking about presentation in a film or, or literature. Um, but yeah, just to sound off, I, I feel like we'd be preaching to the choir. Sure, sure. Not to say that we wouldn't tackle those, but I right. think most topics will either be centered around film. Mm -hmm. Or if not, we will certainly start the podcast with film-related topics. Mm -hmm. um, originally, when we decided to do the fish jelly thing, mm -hmm. we had talked about doing a podcast first. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I thought videos would be easier. Um, they're not, I don't think. <laughs> but I think they've served us well. Mm -hmm. We don't have like a huge following, but if I compare us to other channels with similar subscriber counts... We do seem to get more views. I think we post more regularly. But I also think we do seem a little different. Sure. But I, I think at the end of the day, we, we did this as a project to work on together. Because I'm very busy with all of that. And, and for fun. It, it would I don't think... It still isn't to me, or I think you, uh, about um, followers or popularity. It, it's, I think, a shared love of cinema and engaging in conversation and you know the, the whole reason I have a, a library of film and books is you know the, my fantasy is, is always sharing it with others is you know I like movie nights I like to uh, converse with people whether or not they have the same opinion um, so, so really that's what it's about it's not about uh, I think either of us being a central figure in that it's more of sharing no but I think about I do consume a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos, and often I search for people who I think have similar um, POVs to mine. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the YouTube videos we've done, 
it's, yes, it was a project that was intended to be fun and something we can do together. Because for those who don't know, we're a married couple. Mm -hmm. So it was an activity we could do together. But also I think like representation is important. Mm -hmm. And I think about, I think about reviews that I've read or people who I've seen talk about films who are not, like, I feel like we just don't relate. We don't have similar experiences. So their thoughts and opinions, while valid... Of course, yeah. Everybody don't have much meaning in my life. Like, right, right. <laughs> so, so I like the idea that this brown queer person that I am can talk about things. And, and, and just from the feedback we get from the YouTube channel, it seems like it really resonates with people. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, some of the videos we've made, the feedback, it, like, it's very uh, divisive, mm -hmm. depending on the topic, Right. And oftentimes it'll be like, we're so ignorant, you shouldn't be talking about these things. And then you have people saying like, yes, that's what I wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more about like those people who say like, yes, that's what I want to hear. That's really why I like doing it. Mm -hmm. Because they probably see someone like me or you and feel like we have a voice similar to theirs. Right. Because the example I was thinking of earlier was I was watching a review about the film Monday starring... Mm -hmm. Sebastian Stan. Mm -hmm. And Denise Guff. Denise Guff, directed by Art... Argyris. Argyris. Papadimiotropoulos. Papa Sorry, sir. Um, I was watching a review, and it was a young man. He appeared to be, like, maybe 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. Definitely living in his parents' house. He had, like, Batman sheets on the bed. And, you know, the, he was... He also was like a little pudgy guy who looked like maybe he has only ever had sex with himself. And he was talking about this film and the sex in it. Mm -hmm. And I just thought like, this young man has no business talking about anything sexual. So, you know, that's what I think. I think like we find, when we think about like content creators, the beauty of what we have access to nowadays is there are so many people out there talking about so many things and creating so much original stuff and it's just really neat to be able to connect with people again whose views mimic our own mm -hmm. or who inspire us or who just make us laugh like i would hope people who listen to us might think like oh we'd be friends right yeah yeah well to you know i think as i am attracted to people that are being them their authentic selves um and I think that it's important, you know, and of course I identify as a, a white cis gay male to also exemplify being an ally to uh, others who I'm not similar to based solely on those terms. I, I think it's important. Yeah. Okay, so now's the time when we want to shout out some stuff that you've been up to this week related to cinema. Mm. So you said you had some Isabel Lupin news. Oh, of course. Well, you know, she has... Uh, <laughs> Izzy, uh, during this pandemic, has filmed three projects and a new one has just been announced. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that she has kept busy. Um, her newest project, it's called Sydney au Japan, uh, directed by Elise Girard, which I think is filming sometime this fall. Um, and it's I think she plays an author, a photographer, that uh, who's uh, being republished in Japan and her examining some painful memories. That's all I know about it. But uh, 2021, 2022 promises to be a, a great year for her. She's got a film coming called Promises. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which is 
Uh, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Yeah, it's uh, based on a book by Paul Gallico, who wrote The Beside Adventure. Uh, and he wrote a whole series about this uh, cleaning lady named Mrs. Harris. And there are early 90s television versions of this starring Angela Lansbury, I believe, and Diana Rigg, who also recently passed away. Uh, and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, I'm very excited for, uh, from the Anthony Fabian, South African. He directed a, a really good film called Skin with Sophie Okonedo, Sam Neill, and Alice Kriege about a decade ago. Um, but it's got Isabelle Huppert opposite Leslie Manville. Leslie Manville is Mrs. Harris. She's also uh, got another project called Joan, uh, which makes me laugh. Uh, and then we're still waiting. She directed, she made a film, I think it filmed in 2018 with a, a Hong Kong director, uh, Flora Lau, called Luz, L-U-Z. And uh, I've still been waiting and waiting for that. But yeah, that, that's Isabel, a new project this week that's, of course, exciting to me. You have some Sigourney news. Sigourney is uh, Sigourney Weaver is filming uh, another project in Connecticut uh, that's going to production this month called Call Jane, uh, directed by Phyllis Nagy, the uh, screenwriter of uh, Carol, the Todd Haynes film based on the Patricia Highsmith novel The Price of Salt, uh, I, I believe. And uh, Sigourney is opposite Elizabeth Banks, uh, uh, Kate Mara, Wunmi Mosaku, uh, who uh, is, uh, we reviewed a film called His House with uh, Wunmi Mosaku, who's also uh, really good in Lovecraft Country. I've heard, I haven't seen Lovecraft Country. Uh, very excited about that uh, abortion rights film. I think they were originally slated to, uh, they were, they were going to film in North Carolina, but I heard the state, when they found out what uh, the subject matter was, uh, denied the uh, production to go forward. So. That's why it's in Connecticut. I don't know if this will be released by the end of the year, but originally it was a project announced starring Elizabeth Moss and Susan Sarandon. Uh, obviously very excited. Uh, Sigourney also uh, is, is starring in a film called The Good House, opposite Kevin Klein. Uh, it's based on a, a book by Anne Leary that I read, uh, the wife of Dennis Leary, the comedian, actor. Uh, really good film about an alcoholic, in, or, uh, novel about an alcoholic in denial. I'm very excited to see that. I, I, I'm kind of hoping that both those projects get released at once and, you know, maybe she'll be a double Os a, a two-time double Oscar nominee, but those are, those are the fantasies I've been having about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Giants Being Lonely? Uh, it was a film, I, I, you know, I get all these screeners and I uh, had asked if you were interested in it and you weren't, uh, but I had to review it for Ion Cinema and uh, I was really impressed with it. Uh, uh, First-time filmmaker Greer Patterson, semi-autobiographical, um, set in the senior year uh, high school, focusing on two young white men that look very similar, and it did take me a little while to differentiate between them, uh, both coming from very different family backgrounds that ends in uh, kind of a terrible tragedy. Uh, but the film, despite being about people who... I don't feel like I connect with it all, uh, brought me back to it, it. It felt very much like a certain time and place, uh, not in a nostalgic way, but uh, that I could see, I, I felt like I could s smell that time and period, uh, no. the, the, the season, uh, the memories of my own uh, high school year, senior high school year, um, just a, a very well done evocative first film. And I think the, I, I remember reading the, filmmaker wrote the first draft of it when he was 19. Oh, wow. 
so yeah, the, the, uh, shout out to Giants Being Lonely uh, is something we didn't cover on the YouTube channel, but uh, I recommend checking out. I'm dancing as fast as I can. Well, so, you know, but besides everything that uh, I'm tasked with reviewing, I'm always watching, you know, like Francois Truffaut, uh, I believe, said something once about a perfect life is watching three or four movies a day and reading two books a day or so something like that. He has some quote out there about that. And uh, I seriously, I am watching at least one film, if not more a day and reading and writing every day. Uh, but we're always watching something that isn't related to what we're doing. And I had happened to put on this 1982 film starring Jill Clayburg called I'm Dancing As Fast As I Can about a woman uh, based on a true story dealing with Valium addiction. And you kind of were sitting in the background but uh, became invested. I did? Yeah. You sat and finished it with me and said it was entertaining. What? What is it about? Jill Clayburg, where she's addicted to the Valium and she's the documentary filmmaker. And Geraldine Page is the subject of the documentary she made and hates the final product. And yes, see, yes, uh -huh. yes. That was entertaining. Uh -huh. And you <laughs> and we reviewed uh, an unmarried woman's from the Criterion Collections release with Jill Clayburgh. Um, That's right. And I did. And this also relates. I, I watched it because I was catching up on uh, Alan J. Pakula's films, uh, who we we also reviewed Clute. Uh, but Criterion put out the Parallax View, which with Warren Beatty, which uh, is part of his Paranoia trilogy, and it's the first time I'd ever seen that. And uh, Pakula is a, you know, he did Sophie's Choice, The Sterile Cuckoo with Liza Minnelli, uh, but he has a, a really rich filmography, and he's, uh, I think, an underrated director. So I was taking time trying to um, catch up with stuff. That's why I watched Starting Over with Burt Reynolds and Jill Clayburgh and Candace Bergen with a really great role for Candace Bergen. Uh, watched Consenting Adults with. Mary Elizabeth Mascarantonio and Kevin Klein uh, and Dream Lover, uh, which I wish we had watched or I had watched Dream Lover starring Christy McNichol before we reviewed Come True, that um, sleep study thriller. Yes. Because Dream Lover is very much a film that's like Come True. And I, I oh. think that our review would have uh, brought that up. I would have brought that up at great length had I seen that. Um, but Alan J. Pakula. And there's still films of his I haven't seen, but... Those are some I caught up on. Uh, and also Richard Brooks. Uh, you probably know him best as the director of Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Oh. Uh, Love that film, even though the censorship at the time butchered out uh, Brick's homosexuality, of course. Um, and he also directed another really good uh, Tennessee Williams adaptation, Sweet Bird of Youth, with Geraldine Page and Paul Newman. Um, I, what was it? Oh, Warner Brothers Archives put out Crossfire. Uh, on Blu-ray, and I happened to watch it. I'm a big Gloria Graham fan, uh, and that's all about... It was nominated for Best Picture, several other awards, uh, and it's one of the first Hollywood films, I think even before Gentleman's Agreement, to deal with anti-Semitism. But uh, I was curious to learn about how Richard Brooks was an established author before he became a filmmaker, and he wrote a book called The Brick Foxhole, and that is what Crossfire is based on. The, but The Brick Foxhole is about... Um, homophobia and they cut all that out and changed it with into anti-semitism in this Robert uh, Mitchum vehicle and, uh, and uh, so I have a copy of the Brick Foxhole that I want to read but Cro again reminded of all these Richard Brooks films I'd never seen including the classic In Cold Blood you know based on the Truman Capote novel I, I think for all of us that love cinema there are certain titles that 
it's like you're waiting for an event to happen to visit it. Uh, so I'd never watched it in cold blood and I caught up with that finally. Um, and I went on a rabbit hole of other Richard Brooks things. He wrote the screenplay for Brute Force uh, starring Burt Lancaster, uh, directed by Jules Dassin, which was excellent. Uh, also a lot of homoerotic issues with the Hume Cronin character in that. And um, The Professionals, I had a double feature, uh, which Richard Brooks directed, I think, the third time he directed Burt Lancaster. Very straightforward Western. I prefer Peckinpah's Wild Bunch, but definitely worth a look. Um, and there was something else in there I'm not remembering. But, uh, yeah, Richard Brooks. All right. We started watching the series Them. Which I wanted to review, but, you know, it's t 10 episodes, and we just didn't get to it. It's it's executive produced by Lena Waithe, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's directed by... Uh, I'm forgetting. Uh... But the basic story is about... Uh, a black family who move into the city of Compton, mm -hmm. which was very different than what we know it to be now. Right. So it's predominant. It's occupied exclusively by white families, and when this black family shows up, they are not too happy to see them. Um, it's a horror series. Mm -hmm. We've only gotten through two episodes. Mm -hmm. It's very effective. Oh yes, and you, you, I think you were pretty resistant to. Um... I was resistant because it was ten episodes, and I don't like reviewing series on our YouTube channel unless I can watch all the like all of it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it seems like a daunting effort to then film like a twenty-five minute video. Um, and I know that a lot of channels do like reviews of each episode. Mm -hmm. That's just a lot. That some of the there's five directors across the series, and a couple oh. of them I really Ty West is somebody whose output I usually really like. Uh, Janixa Bravo, who directed a really good film with Neil Long called Lemon, uh, and she, her new film stars Coleman Domingo uh, that hasn't come out. I think it comes out in June that I'm also very excited to see. Uh, and Daniel Stamm, uh, who I believe directed The Last Exorcism. Okay. Um, it's very frustrating you know like, oh you know who i was thinking it was created by someone named little marvin isn't he listed as one of the creators yeah but i didn't mention his name okay um i really like the lead uh deborah iorinda uh who you said and i agree reminded you a lot of uh, annika noni rose yeah uh, but then you know watching allison pill as that horrible racist is I'm just really waiting for something. To well, I know that uh, Little Marvin and Lena Waithe are not going to let us down and not give us the satisfaction of seeing these awful characters get their just desserts. So I'm waiting for that. Like, I'm anxious to finish the series once there's time. And, you know, thankfully, Jordan Peele's Get Out was a hit because I've always said that there is, uh, you know, horror and comedy are both genres where we can explore all kinds of interesting things that you can't in a, a serious drama. And I think that there has, you know, there's an absence of uh, black stories in, in horror films that are sure. subversive and meaningful. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited in that. I also like how the, the title uh, relates to Jordan Peele's Us. You know, mm -hmm. us, us versus them. Who's Helen McRory? So Helen McRory died this week. She was only 52 okay. of cancer. Um, she is probably best known to people for uh, the Harry Potter films. Uh, she's in several of Which those. Which I haven't seen. Okay. Um, but just, just a wonderful actress that every time you'd see her on screen, you're like, who is this? Uh, also notable uh, stage presence. I think she was in a really uh, well-revered um, 
staging of uh, the Deep Blue Sea, uh, which I believe I think that Terrence Radigan played, uh, but also Terrence Davies uh, filmed that with Rachel Vise in 2011, which I also recommend. But uh, just you know, people you that are just die that are too young and you didn't expect. Um, in my mind, I, I think I've known about who she is for a long time because you know when you see things when you're a kid and faces and images are kind of burned into your psyche. Interview with the Vampire, you know, I saw in fourth grade. And, you know, I kind of remember everybody's face from that. So she's a, a prostitute in that, as is Tandy Newton. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think there are just moments in time where you have a nostalgic, a nostalgia factor, I think. And uh, to me, it, it was it was very sad to hear the, about that. But so the topic we're going to focus on today is film festivals. My favorite. Your favorite. <laughs> Nick writes for ionsinema.com. Mm -hmm. You've been writing for them since 2010? Technically. I think in 2010, um, we were living in Minnesota, and I was getting DVDs to review. But I didn't start really steamrolling that until 2011. You've been attending film festivals since 2007, but with Ion Cinema since 2011. 2007, so. the Toronto International Film Festival, which I've been aware of because since the 90s I've done uh, daily Google searches on Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and after I graduated with my BA, because Toronto's every September, so there was never any chance being in school and being able to go. And I've always been somebody to kind of just go out and do things. Uh, but The Girl in the Park, uh, starring Sigourney and Kate Bosworth, was announced as going to premiere at the Toronto Film Festival, and I was like, I'm gonna go. <laughs> and I think, strangely, that first time, and I had to buy a ticket package, it's a very easy festival to go as a member of the public. And I think I saw 14 films across uh, 10 days, and I thought, oh my god, this is crazy. Uh, little did I know. <laughs> you could do so much more. Yes, so. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about this because it has been a little over a year since you attended a physical film festival. Which you was... have covered several many during this past year, but they're all digital. But the last film festival you attended was... Berlin. Berlin, physically. In February 2020, because we came back from that, and then, you know, three weeks later... Everything... COVID happened. Yeah. For real. And was happening there, too. I mean, the, we were talking about that um, at the film festival. And you could see people getting skittish, uh, like people, because you're all packed in at theaters there, and people coughing. Like I remember several people like making a big to do about moving away from people coughing. And um... you've attended many film festivals: Toronto, Berlin, Cannes, Warsaw, Sundance, something in Costa Rica. Once, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you do Outfest and AFI mm -hmm. and the LA Film Festival. Yeah. Why do you like going? Well, because who doesn't... I mean... Who doesn't? I don't. I mean... Because I've only been to two. I've been to Toronto in 2010. 10, I dragged 10, along. And I went to no, Berlin in... 2018. 2018, and that's it. No, I brought you to Warsaw in 2016. That's right, I went to Warsaw in 2016. And then, like, Outfest and AFI. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, because we live um, in Los Angeles. Like, you know, if there's a title that appeals to me, I'll tag along. Yes. So, but... It is, uh, 
you know, despite having hundreds of videos on YouTube reviewing films, I wouldn't call myself a cinephile. Mm -hmm. I get very anxious watching film because if they don't catch my attention, I just want to get up and leave. Mm -hmm. So the idea of going to a film festival... Because you did that a couple times. Yeah, I remember at Outfest, was it Southern Baptist Sissies? Like, you just left and went and sat in the car. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And going to Toronto for the first time, you were watching... I, I think you may have... Your schedule, because you had, this was before you went as press, so yeah. you had bought a ticket package, which I think was like 30? I bought 30 for myself and I bought 10 for you. So you were watching 30 films in 10 days. Yeah. Which seemed like a lot. Yeah. 10 was a lot for me. Yeah. Because that means that there was one day when I saw two films like that. No, there was one day where you saw three. Oh, there was one day where I saw three. Yeah, that was miserable. Yeah. So um, it's very stressful to me. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Berlin, I think I only saw... You didn't see any in Berlin. I don't think I saw anything. No. And in Warsaw, I saw two films. Two, I think, yeah. Um, beautiful cities. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lovely gowns. Well, that's no. <laughs> um, so, you know, going is fun. That, uh, I think that's what... I love traveling anyway. Uh, so... So, you, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So, why do you like going? I think pairing that... Well, it's like... I, I'm like a... Uh, an overeater at a buffet. That it's... It's... <laughs> A gluttonous compulsion. The fact that I can see five films from, you know, especially established filmmakers who I admire, starring people that I'm excited about, uh, you know, there's nothing better. And then you're completely, uh, you know, the, the theater experience, the theatrical experiences, you go and, and you're transported. And then you, as, as a journalist, I there's nothing more romantic to me than to going back and sitting in some nook somewhere, usually drinking wine, and writing about the film I just saw. Like, the, to me, that's... There, there's really nothing better. Because writing anyway, and, and in any kind of shape, way, or form, is where I feel the most me. When you think about all the film festivals, what are some, like, glaring differences from one festival to the next? Well, access, of course. Um, I think Toronto and Berlin, as members of the public, it's a lot easier uh, to be able to attend. Uh, can is a bear. Uh, there's a, a hierarchy. If you're a member of the public and you're going to premiere, you have to, there's a dress code. Women have to wear heels. Uh, men have to wear tuxedos. Oh. Um, there's, the first year I went to, the first year I attended Can was 2013 and they're tiered, uh, as I might have said already. And uh, I went in with a yellow badge, which is basically the lowest for press. Uh, and there were a couple films I remember waiting in line to see at the Palais and Yellow get in last and there's capacity. And I, I remember waiting three hours to see Blue is the Warmest Color in the Rain and not getting in. I had to see the second screening later that night when those badges have a higher chance of getting in. Uh, so if I had to go back now and do that again, no. But luckily I've been able to get a much better badge. Uh, and you can for almost anything, show up 15 minutes ahead of time and get in. Uh, so, yeah, nav navigating can is can be difficult. Uh, Which festival is your favorite? See, that's hard because my favorite city out of all of them is Berlin. That's probably my favorite city in the world. Just uh, as a queer person, uh, as uh, you know, a, a country that has experienced one of the darkest histories ever uh you know seemingly is much more careful about everything uh but just anything you want to get into 
it can happen in that city. And I think that is probably not the best place for some personalities. But, uh, you know, as far as uh, evoking a queer nightlife that I fantasize about having as, as a, a young gay person, it's still there. Um, and not that I have to have an anything goes kind of attitude, but I appreciate that even though there are things that I don't get into, they're in that city. But also, you know, that you have access to this uh, beautiful palast. They have a, a competition. I'm a completist. I see everything that's in the competition every year. Uh, the camaraderie there. Uh, yeah. Can. I feel a lot more isolated. Um, it's, you know, it's any city where there's a major film festival, if there's if the fest if the festival is the only major thing that season, uh, it's very expensive to find lodging. Uh, I've had terrible experiences at Cannes. Uh, you know, they cram journalists. If you're not a notable person, you're a, a journalist crammed like a sardine into uh, a room meant for one or two with four. Um, so you have to. I, I think you need you learn for yourself what works for you uh, at a festival like that. Uh, so to answer your question. <laughs> I don't know. Ber Berlin and Cannes are, to me, there's nothing better. Uh, I haven't been to Venice, which is, we can get to. And, uh, you know, Toronto, I love going to that city too. Uh, but, but Berlin or Cannes, depending on my mood. So I'm assuming the film festival you haven't attended that you would like to would be Venice. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it but the reason you haven't been able to go. Well, Venice always overlaps with TIFF. Uh, historically, Venice starts a little first. They have a, they're the oldest film festival in the world, and of course, one of the major three. Uh, and they, yeah, they usually start at the end of August. And uh, TIFF historically is starts the Thursday after Labor Day, and there's a lot of overlap. TIFF is a poo-poo platter, so you get um, you get notable things from Sundance and Cannes, and it's a nice catch-up festival. At the same time as many of the major films competing in Venice are also in TIFF. So it, the access is just, it's, it's less expensive, it's closer flight-wise, blah, blah, blah. Of course, there are a few items that just you don't get to see uh, that are Venice-related, but I, I think there are a variety of issues, but timing. What's the best part or the most fun thing about going to the film festivals? Like, like, what do you enjoy the most when the day comes to go to the airport? The excitement of being able to see these films I'm very highly anticipating, usually that I've been writing about year-round, because at Ion Cinema we do a top 300 most anticipated um, foreign language films <laughs> every year. So I, I'm very invested in uh, these films, uh, usually ahead of time. Um, often there are, you know, major presents. Like, you know... Berlin 2020, the opening night film was my Salinger year with Sigourney Weaver. So I got to be at the premiere of that. So those are the things that are most, I most look forward to. Of course, like great food and getting to relax and, um, you know, drink good wine and see people that I only see at these events. Like, you know, after you do this for years, you see the same people, you develop uh, friendships with people that have the same taste. Uh, in places you like to go, restaurants, nightclubs, like the, it's like, um, you know, you're seeing old haunts. Mm -hmm. What's the worst part about going? It can be lodging. Uh, can have had some nightmare scenarios. I, I think the first year I was a pink badge was 2015, and uh, I shared a two bed 
place that was quite far away from the Palais, like a 45 minute walk. And one of the other journalists was, a, I dare I say, a very notable journalist and snored. And you know, once you spoke, hone in on something, and I, I probably, I watched a documentary about Natalie Wood who had trouble um, zoning out noises. So maybe I'm, have the same issue as Natalie Wood, but you once, do seem very sensitive to sound. I well, and I think writing has a lot to do with that. Like it's you know to get in your space, it's hard to zone out a lot of errant noises, especially if they're unnecessary. But uh, this person, who I won't name, uh, snored like the Dickens, and uh, I could didn't. I remember texting you because I didn't sleep for three nights, and I got, I got sick. Um, I just couldn't sleep. I even tried sleeping on the balcony and it's freezing at night and there's a lot of birds because you're on the uh, French Riviera. Um, and I remember saying, like, if I don't get sleep in one more night, I, I think I'm going to have to come home because I can't take it. Having to write and see all the films and keep up and I, I'd have to walk, hitch the 45 minutes back to that place and try to take a nap and also write. Like, it felt impossible. Uh, so, like I said, really... Uh, how did you end up reconciling that? I finally got some sleeping pills, and then I, I got cough medicine. And I, and I, once, I think once I got out of my head about it, I was able to sleep. And I also did approach that journalist and ask him if he could turn on his side. And the other person that shared his bed was this woman. And she was in the apartment, in the flat, when I asked him to do that. And she was... <laughs> Was she having difficulty sleeping? She, were, were they a couple? They were not a couple. Oh no! Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, I don't. I remember this story, but I just remember you being in distress about a snore. And it, and I felt bad, but it just I couldn't take it anymore. I don't think you know. I have strong feelings about people who have very interesting sleep habits. Mm -hmm. They they shouldn't share sleeping quarters. Yeah. So it's pretty. And he shared a sleeping quarter with, like, a stranger in his bed. So then what, you were, like, in another room? No, the beds were in the same room. Oh, no. Yeah, see, this is what they do to people. What um, happened when you it, told him to sleep on his side? Did he get offended? He got upset. He said, I can't help it. I'm like, I know, but... Oh. And I felt bad, and, you know, it's not somebody I've spoken with since. Are you familiar with that clip from the Bad Girls Club where the black lady is, like, banging the pots, like, if I can't sleep, no one can sleep? Yeah. That would be me. <laughs> You can't do that. If, if if you snore like a fucking bear, then you need to go sleep in a cave. You cannot you cannot share a bedroom with two other people. And I wish I had said something sooner because I, I literally did take... Because uh, my friend, who uh, was the reason that I was there uh, in this particular sleeping space, had brought a, a blow-up mattress, so I took the blow-out onto the porch. And so I, I tried to, you know... Make it work for me first, but I wish I'd said something earlier. Mm. Do you have funny stories, interesting stories uh, from all the times you've gone? Like anything that pops into your head? Oh, well. That, that would be uh, enjoyable to listen to on this podcast on this day. <laughs> um, God. Well, my first, the, at Toronto 2007. At the premiere of Girl in the Park, I stayed for the Q&A, obviously, with Sigourney and Kate Bosworth. And I cringe at thinking of what I was dressed like, but I... Uh, Something shiny? No. It, I look, that was back when I 
you know, I'd started shaving my head, but I was also wearing that Kangol hat every day, okay. and I, which was probably dirty. And somebody said something, referred to Sigourney, and I shouted out, she's a legend! <laughs> and the room got very quiet. And there were a lot of people in there. Um, I don't, there are other uh, various random stories. Um, I'd have to think, but. Oh, well, go, I, go I don't want to put you out. I don't have anything else unless there's another topic or. Did you, weren't you going to ask like what, well, besides where other festivals I'd like to go to besides. You said Venice. Oh, but there's also San Sebastian. Mar oh, so Marrakesh. for people who aren't familiar with Nick, Nick likes to create lists. Oh, so yes. you, you can't just ask him to give you one. He will give you all. Well, that, I mean, isn't that the secret, putting it out there? No. Okay. Um, Macau. <laughs> well, yes, that is the secret, but that's not the question I asked Okay. You. Macau, uh, Macau, which I've been invited to a few times, just in which is in December usually, but never has never worked out. Um, but that that's a city I thought we... Uh, maybe because of um, Von Sternberg's film with Jane Russell, I've always wanted to go to Macau. Uh, or the the film, the, the last time I saw Macau from... Uh, Joao Pedro Rodriguez. Okay. Um, and least favorite film, film festival. Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to ask that because I didn't want to be super negative, but go ahead. I don't think it's super negative. Okay. It's just Sundance. Because? I think I... There's politics involved in who gets elected and why. Um, Sundance, I always just... You know, they're a, comp, a competition film festival... And especially with their U.S. dramatic narratives, yes, of course, there's usually one or two like, excellent, dare I say, masterpieces. This past year, um, I was so disappointed that Rebecca Hall's passing did not receive any awards. Like, that is masterpiece level filmmaking, and not just because I'm a fan of Nella Larson's text uh, from the 20s, but that should have competed a can um, and just went, went home empty-handed, I I think Tessa Thompson's never been better. Anyway, I, uh, I'm i usually disappointed in what they choose to be in the dramatic competition. Like, it's always safe kind of dramedies that have a very similar indie quirk vibe to them uh, when they have uh, sub... There are other programs, like the next section usually has something that isn't what's next more daring per what that means and shouldn't that be what the kind of things that are competing, like pushing boundaries uh, with uh, cinema and storytelling. Um, and also just, you see who the repeat uh, people are invited over and over again with films that are, in my opinion, often subpar or not very exciting or just because they have this relationship with the festival. So again, it's probably unfair, but like anything, um, you know, once you get your foot in the door, you're... It's gravy. Uh, and also, I don't really like Utah uh, as a place to visit, especially in the winter. Um, it, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I don't really like about Utah, but certainly Park City is not a place. And, and then everybody's so contained, cause it, and it's very expensive, and again, you'll have like can-like situations um, of people being crammed in together. Very uncomfortable. Um, in the way that people behave, there's a whole... Uh, section of people that go not to see the films but to just go to the the industry parties of a few of which I've attended and every time I have uh, I feel like this is just a, kind of a waste of time and the way people behave about uh, finding free liquor uh, and food 
and trash. They're tra- trash, Miss Charlotte. I just, I, I mean, that's not why I'm there. Uh, so you're here to be a ambulance chaser. I, um, it, yeah, I, I just don't like that aspect of it because I, frankly, I find those that to be kind of disrespectful and shallow. Do you have anything else to say about that? No. No. Okay. How would you like to comment about the effects uh, that that uh, festivals have had on your life? Oh God. Well, they occupy a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. So. But over this past year, it's been a little different. Well, I think it's something you enjoy doing, so it's it's nice that you get to go, and I think it's nice for me to have alone time. Although I can't really, you know. I'm often busy because I'm busy with work and mm-hmm. other things. So it's not necessarily like when you're gone, I get to have a vacation, but I think it's nice for you to go and, and it's an experience you enjoy. It's an intense experience that mm-hmm. I don't, it's very much not my style of, if that were something I choose to do for leisure, which it, it, it which is, it, which it would be if I went with you, that's not really how I would choose to spend my time. Sure. Yeah. So, but I, you know, personally I find it, you know, it's rejuvenating and exciting. But if it's your personality, I mean, I think you're very, like, um, you like to do a lot, mm-hmm. and you seem to like to stress yourself out. Well, no. Not well, you I, stress, not distress. You stress? EU stress. Isn't the good kind of stress? Oh. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you like to burn the candle at both ends, and mm-hmm. stay up late, and watch a bunch of movies, and not eat, and then call me to tell me you're not eating, which I find super annoying, and like, because it seems like you're doing things that I aren't... I feel like I've gotten a better balance of that. Sure, but you, you in in the sense that you don't communicate it, but I think your your personality lends itself to like, you do, you kind of have a tendency to do a lot, mm-hmm. and you seem to feed off of that energy, but it's the kind of energy that definitely is like, it needs to be self-contained. Sure. Like, it's something that, for someone like me to witness, is not enjoyable. Sure. So, you know, I, it, it's obvious you're lamenting the past year and I not mean, being able to go. I've been very thankful. You know, Sundance, uh, Berlin, um, South by Southwest. Um, I hope to, there's a, uh, a couple of titles I want to cover from Moscow that starts next, next week, if I can fit them in. Um, but you know, I, I, am looking forward to Cannes happening in July this year. Uh, it looks like, uh, it, it might actually happen. Uh, so I do plan on going unless it's canceled. Uh, but I'm, I, I've been trying not to think or read too much about it because, you know, if it if it happens, it happens. You know, everybody being safe is, of course, important. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to that happening again. And, you know, Terry Fermo has already kind of commented on, uh, the, on the two titles that are for sure going to be in competition. Um, <clears throat> Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch and uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. The next thing I'm going to read after the book I'm finishing today is Judith C. Brown's... Uh, take on that lesbian nun that Benedetta is based on. And Verhoeven, of course, is a, a favorite of mine. Uh, yes, I'm just very much looking forward to it happening. Okay. Well, so this is our first... I feel like it was a lot of me. Well, you know, that's our life together. Oh and I boy. think that, uh, oh you know, that <laughs> that's... I'm accustomed to it, it's fine. No, in our videos, I tend to be overbearing. So maybe... You're, well, you're very good at staying on topic and, and keeping things 
you know, in, in a certain time frame. Sure. I, you know, I think, so I appreciate that. I think the podcast, you know, may not always be like this, but I think, uh, <laughs> you know, for the, t- on the topic of film festivals, you have a lot more to say than I do. This is true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our intention is to post weekly, if not more, if we're feeling loquacious, but, mm-hmm. um, Definitely subscribe. If you like hearing us chatter, you'll like watching us even more. So you should check out our YouTube channel, Fish Jelly Film Reviews. Uh, anything else? Be sure to check out this, what we'll be watching next, uh, Secrets of the Whales, narrated by Sigourney Weaver, which I believe released... How many episodes is that? I think it's just four. Are we, are we reviewing that? We can. We don't have to. I mean, how do you review a nature documentary? I'll probably just talk about her. Well, I mean, we'll watch it for sure. All right, toodaloo. Bye.